באנגלית. היי, היי ציפי. Welcome everybody to Tuzamen. We are here every week and we are only meeting people that uh, inspire us. And since we have 40 years more to go, we, I think we'll catch up with most of them, right? <laughs> so we will be really, our brain will be enriched. So today we have, Tzili, can you express yourself? Professor Stephen Fine from Yeshiva University in New York City. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Stephen. Uh, Stephen, I rather that you present yourself uh, because I don't want to get lost in all the titles and the whole thing. The only thing I can say is that uh, Stephen is running a, a very unusual program at the Yeshiva, and he's a very unusual professor at Yeshiva, and uh, it gives different colors. Don't make faces, it's true. Um, so just tell us what you do, um, left, and then we'll take. <laughs> <laughs> that will be our side, left. You got it. Yes, it's I will okay. take care of you. Yeah. Okay. 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 Zipping the smaller needs, you know that's how it works, yes. right? You that's are right. That's right. right. I know. I know. I, I embrace everybody, but yes, I am. Okay. So tell us who you are, what you're doing, your titles, and then. We'll dig into to what we want to ask you. Okay. Hi, Tzipi. Hi, Tzili. How are you? Okay. You're the, the sun is shining. Say <laughs> Listen, I'm chatziva chatzi. It doesn't matter, you know? Ah, I'm not left. You know, guys, left. Always left, right? Okay. If you want him to look left because he cannot look straight into the computer, that's all. Heaven for Betsy. Okay. So... Um, I think about people who've been dead at least 1,500 years in the period of the Talmud oh. and spend my life trying to bring them to life, right? Using archaeology, using text, using art, using historical theory, because I'm a cultural historian and I'm happily employed by Yeshiva University as the Dean Pinchas Korgen Professor of Jewish History. Um, and in my other lives, I'm director of the YU Center for Israel Studies and of the Archer Titus Project that we're here to talk about today. Oh, yeah, which I was completely puzzled by it. Yeah, so, so why, why don't you start with that? What would you like to know? Why? Why, why did why? you go to the, to the arch? What's so important in this arch, which required quite a few people to reconstruct it in a fantastic, meticulous way. Why? Look, um, Jews have been going to the Arch of Titus for hundreds of years and looking up and seeing the, uh, the menorah there and the table of the showbread of the Temple of Jerusalem all brought to Rome and, and talked about it. Every time I give a lecture on this subject, someone tells me a story about how they were in Rome. And the first thing they did when they went to Rome was go to the Arch of Titus. And in a thousand different variants, a thousand different kinds of Jews all show up at the Arch of Titus like, like uh, homing pigeons to, to see these objects. The truth is I've been one of those from the time I was in high school. I'm uh, enamored with the menorah and the menorah of the Arch of Titus. And so I was invited to be part of a team that reconstructed and searched for 
the original color on a statue of the Emperor Caligula. They found a little bit of purple on his back shoulder and through it, this team through the uh, Virginia Museum of Fine Arts um, was able to consider what Titus, excuse me, what Caligula looked like um, when the statue was first painted. So I was standing with these people as part of the team and I was handling Caligula, who in Jewish history has this awful, awful reputation, well-deserved for having uh, put a, wanting to put a statue of himself in the temple in Jerusalem. He, he wasn't such a good guy. Romans thought he was crazy. Um, sitting with this group of scholars and I said, you know, you found the purple on the back of the statue that's been cleaned so many times with acid. I wonder if you could find the um, yellow or the gold of the uh, menorah in the Arch of Titus. And they all looked at me and said, we could probably do that. And before I knew it, the permissions were granted and, and off we were to Rome. Why? Because, you know, when we were kids, they told us all those Roman statues were white. That's why all those buildings in London and in, and in Paris and in Berlin and in Washington or the Metropolitan Museum of Art and the Public Library are all this very impressive white stone, right? And, and there's a reason for it because they had this odd notion that white is powerful and pure, right? Mm -hmm. Color is frivolous, right? Like you like your glasses, Sue. They're, they're frivolous colored. And so you still see that if you drive down the streets of New York, you'll see gray cars and, and black cars and brown cars. You won't see a lot of chartreuse cars, right? And even for um, work situations, you get on the train and you see everyone in blue and black and brown and if someone comes in a bright color well that's frivolous we have this strange modernist notion of, of black and white as pure colors and so we developed this oddity that believed that everything greek and roman was pure and white and perfect and people believe it it was only in the last 30 years that a group of uh, museum curators took a look at, at the objects in their collections and said, that's color. Yes. I've got to tell you, the first time I gave a lecture on this in Israel, an archaeologist who found a major, major piece walked up to me and said, you know, when I found my sculpture, there was this red stuff on it and I wiped it off. It didn't occur to me that it would be color. Mm -hmm. It just didn't occur to anybody. Our sense Why it's of important? Sense. It's important in terms of uh, being genuine, being um, respectful, being uh, authentic. It's about being human. It's about knowing what other humans did a long time ago. Right? Mm -hmm. When we assume that they're that different, that they're that white, that their noses are that straight, right? We're turning them all into, you know, angels, wasps. Wasp, yeah. We're turning them all into uh, perfect Protestants. In fact, uh, when one of when a major scholar of Roman art made a point in her blog that um, these sculptures were colored, she she started getting death threats from uh, white nationalists in the United States. How dare you take this away from us? And so it's become part of the culture wars. This notion that all this stuff was colored. That means not everybody looks like 
you know, a Hitler youth. It's really a, a major issue. But beyond that issue, it's a major issue because um, knowing what these people look like gives us a better sense of what they were. Yes. In, in, in Jewish terms, there's sort of a thrill about scanning the temple vessels and, and knowing that you're looking at them more or less the way they looked 2,000 years ago. There's, there's, a, there's a thrill in that. There's a religious thrill. There's a cultural thrill. Um, it's not for naught that um, in the international press, they highlighted our little drops of yellow. And in the Jewish press, they highlighted the blue and white YU flag hanging from the scaffolding at the Arch of Titus. Uh, and they each put different pictures because the, the Jewish environment looks to the Arch of Titus ever since um, the 19th century, but certainly since 1949, when the uh, Arch of Titus menorah became symbol of the state of Israel uh, as a kind of object in exile. We were taken in exile, we came back, and that's part of the uh, mythology of, uh, of the Israeli civil religion, right? That the menorah is brought back to and relit in the state of Israel. And so there's this deep affection and interest in this thing that went far beyond um, a normal Roman artifact, because this is, as opposed to most other artifacts, is one that still lives. In, in really interesting ways. You know that I grew up in Israel. I was born in city two. We went to school and you mentioned high school. I don't remember ever anybody tried to install in me what you are describing. You probably weren't a revisionist. Okay. But if you read the literature written by people like- Nobody showed um, me. Across, across the, the system actually, um, major artists, uh, children's authors um, made um, use this imagery in all sorts of interesting ways. People like uh, Levin Kipnis, whose stories you do know, you just didn't pay attention yeah. to that particular one. That's right, not this or, aspect that you're describing. And I can I did go, not I, interpret it or didn't relate to it the way you relate to it. Um, I can only read what people write, not what they taught you in your uh, in your tribal environment, right? So I wonder why they didn't, why I grew up in, in, in being detached almost. And um, if I look at something, I judge it by my criteria of aesthetic, you know, if it's aesthetic or not aesthetic. Well, you grew up in that Tel Aviv modernism, probably. Of course. Um, we are from Square As opposed to what um, Rabban was doing at the same time all the way through the 50s, but was ignored, as opposed to what Dosh was doing in his cartoons. A lot of this lives in newspaper cartoons and those sorts of places, yes. often done by non-laborites, right? In other words, this, this visualization started out in the 1910s and the 1920s. And where did the culture of the 10s and 20s go once the socialists took over uh, in the 20s and 30s, it found but, its Peter, home among think, the revisionists. Do you think it has to do with the uh, subject of Titus, because, I mean, the arch, because it's basically the Jews were defeated in the Jerusalem and everything was taken away. Do you think it has to do with the fact that nobody wanted to highlight the fact that we were defeated 
and being taken away from Jerusalem to Rome? Um, you know, Jews never admit that they're defeated. That's rule number one. Right. I mean, Titus was gotten by God because he sent a gnat and put him up his nose and he got eaten away and died crazy, right? In other words, even, uh, and the gnat is in many ways a, a metaphor for Israel or for God, right? God never lets the Jewish people lose. It can be punished, it can be down, but it never loses. That's, that's part of the system. And so uh, during the Renaissance, this Jewish author went there and he wrote about it. And he said, you know, you can see on the arch, our ancestors as slaves mm -hmm. and what you learn, and which is part of the Israeli thing. It came from Eastern Europe that the people carrying the menorah are Jews and not Romans. It's a particularly Jewish thing. When I first started thinking about it, um, I read about that in book after book and article after article and newspaper after article, these are our ancestors carrying the menorah. So I walked up to the librarians at Yeshiva University, most of whom were pretty old. And I said, who's carrying the menorah in the Arch of Titus? And one for one, they say Jews, right? In other words, this is old Jewish folklore that the people on the Arch of Titus are in fact powerful Jews. And this Renaissance guy said straight out, you see from that arch that all those Gentiles know that Israel is a powerful nation. This is as they're being pushed, shoved and jabbed and made to run down the streets right. in parades naked. In other words, this self capacity to maintain dignity, right? On the other hand, um, for those who believe that Europe was the new home of the Jewish people, the Arch of Titus and its menorah became a birth certificate. For those who said it's time to go home, the Arch of Titus became a remnant ready to be taken back. Right. And, yeah, but right? So what about the, if you, if you uh, somehow believe that you always win and you are strong, do you ever have doubts or do you try to correct your mistakes? Because I look at us now, and I'm trying to, to, to understand what did we learn from history um, and not just manipulating it for uh, political uh, reasons or to manipulate my mind. I mean, what did we learn from the past? How, if, if we think we are great, if we think we are successful and strong, when do we stop and say, well, let's, let's reevaluate it? Look, it's a double balance because what does it say in Deuteronomy that Israel is the smallest of all the nations, right? In other words, it's not about large and powerful. It's not that, you know, early military thing that you grew up with so, so, so distinctly. It's not military parades. It's a different kind of strength, right? Even in antiquity, um, we have stories in the Talmud of... Um, Towns that there's a story of a town that says we need guardians. And so they send them, so they figure they're going to get these great big, you know, Gauls, these Goths, these great big blonde guys to come and guard them. No, they sent some rabbis. Sure. No, no, no. That's right? In other words, the rabbis as the guardians of the city. That's wonderful. Right? Not no, only no, the rabbis, it's the conscious people, people who have conscious, consciousness. Right. 
consciousness. 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 Look, in, in every period, every period, every moment, every place has to be evaluated in and of itself. There's no culture as self-reflective as traditional Jewish culture, right? After all, how many days do we spend not eating, thinking about things that didn't happen, that, that happened or that we did wrong and, and all of that, right? Um, this culture has tachanun, prayers of, of, of asking for forgiveness built in every single day. This is a, a, a should be a very reflective religious environment. So how but come we are not united well, by it? How come we are not united by it? By all well, of us. All of us. Well, let me, let me try it We're a different not way. Anything. Well, yeah, I'm asking if well, we let me try such it a great way. people and we have such a great culture and a great, uh, 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 you know, religion, I mean, in terms of values and uh, how come we are so much apart? Look, I teach at Yeshiva University, which is sort of the, the flagship of Judaism in, in, in this country, right? Yes. We have people from the left of the Orthodox world to the right of the Orthodox world and people who aren't Orthodox at all, right? And people who are not Jewish. And we have lots of people who aren't Jewish, right? But in setting okay. the directions of the institution, right? We are uh, the largest Jewish phenomenon outside of the state of Israel. Um, so I spent a lot of my time building bridges across Jewish valleys, right? That, that's what my center is. It's designed, to, as I say, if you're fit to sit in the Knesset, you're fit to be in the Center for Israel Studies, which means really just uh, the right-wing Israeli fascist, really, the Kachniks on the one side and, and Hamas on the other. Everybody else seems to have a place um, within the polity of what it means to be Israeli, which is different than the polity of what it means to be Jewish. Um, look, there's a few things going on. Number one, Jews forget how much they have in common and sometimes they emphasize what separates them. Mm -hmm. When I taught in Cincinnati, for example, um, I used to send the students out every semester in my introduction to Judaism class, which I don't teach anymore at Yeshiva, right? In my introduction to Judaism class. And they'd have to go to a different synagogue, a place they'd never been, right? I even put it in the, the newspaper that they were coming. One of my students, an African-American guy comes back and he starts telling me about the procession of the Torah and how beautiful it is and how pious people are and on and on and on. And I thought, okay, he went to, you know, the modern Orthodox big synagogue probably. No, he'd been at the most liberal of reform temples. Jews forget how much they're together and the same and get caught up in the uh, in the differences and that's allowed frankly by the fact that all Israeli Jews have two built zahut right in other words everybody's part of the uh, body politic and so once you're all part of the same thing it's, it's amazing how a Satmar Lubavitcher and a secular Israeli gets along when they're stuck in Africa somewhere you know yes you, you hear my point. But, but um, maybe because we, um, in a way, Judaism, at least the Orthodox, are not willing to change. You'd be surprised 
first of all, there's no such thing as the Orthodox. Well, they no, got thrown no. together. They Haredi. got thrown together. I am even within the Haredim. There's a, a vast array that non-Haredim don't see. In the same way, by the way, that the Haredim do not see that there are different kinds of people in North Tel Aviv. Yes. Right. Right. Um, right. It's the. It requires human interaction and assumption of good faith. I got to tell you, I am consistently amazed by the current generation within all of our communities. I can't tell you how many letters I get from guys who pay us to their puppets in Hebrew. Dear Professor Fine, Professor Fine, right? I would like to ask you the following question. Can you please answer it? And he always gets a letter back. Hello, Chaim. This is Steve. Right? I, and, and sometimes they are the most satmer you can imagine, and sometimes they are the, a kibbutznik, you know, and, every, and that's a, those are stereotypes, right? And, and everything in between. And so from, from where I live, I, and I only deal with a minority, but my life is about Jews retail one at a time, right? Right. And so the question is, how do you sit in a room with people with whom, as I always say, um, if I can agree on 90% with you, we're in good shape. Agree on this. On, can, don't you think we can all agree on the Ten Commandments? Jews, not uh, well, Jews. there are at least four or five different sets of Ten Commandments. If you're Samaritan, the Tenth Commandment is be sure to go and sacrifice on Mount Grisim. In other words, even the Ten Commandments. But there are bigger, larger social, family, religious stuff that Jews across the spectrum look at and say, well, yeah. And they don't even know they have in common. We're starting our next project. It's called the Talmud on the Israeli street. I'm going to have why you kids go take pictures of street signs from Rehob Broya in Ramat Gan, which is next door to Rehob Rabbi Meir, right? Isn't that surprising because they were married? To if it's not um, written rabbi, we all say this was a Zionist. In, you know, we kids, all this, right? I know if it was, I not, know, I know. Rabbi, it was not rabbi, it was Zionist. Zionist. And you know, half of those Zionists were, were, went to the best yeshivas. And so, um, yeah, my point is whether it's Avshalom Kor to just choose an example, right? On Higiazman Lashon and how the Hebrew, modern Hebrew language is so deeply invested in Talmudic terminology. Or whether it's, can you stop the camera for me, I'll turn off the phone. No, we don't, oh, don't stop the camera, just move, yeah. And that's, Sorry. that's okay. Or when, Now just remember to look to the left. Yeah, I got it. Whether it's um, the Hebrew language or poetry or, or art, made by whoever makes it, right? Nachum Gutman did things on Talmudic themes. Uh, he also did, by the way, the Jews carrying the menorah in back yes. to Eretz Israel, right? Yes. His Masada yes. illustrations. Um, whether it's, and I can keep going on, or whether it's archeology span or whether it's biblical sandals, right? I can go on and on and on and show you where the Talmud lives in places that you don't even know that it's there. Yes. Now, I had a student, let me give you a simple one from, from language. You know, um, 
there's a phrase in modern Hebrew, la'afochat yotzrot. Right. Uh, right? Uh, yeah. Now, la'afochat yotzrot means to turn something up, it's upside down. Yes. Uh, right? Okay. Yeah. So one of my nice Israeli students was convinced that it was like build, winning a football game. So la'afochat yotzrot, you ah. won the football game. La'afochat yotzrot goes back to the prayer book that was used in Eastern Europe by the descendants of Hasidim, where they have this prayer called Yotzer Or, which is the creator of light just before the Shema, which changes on a regular basis based upon the weekly Torah portion or the holiday, okay? Knowing which one to say is enough to make anybody crazy. Okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hence, in Yiddish, to make the, the Balbelata Rosh, to make someone crazy, was the equivalent of La Yotzrot, to turn the Yotzer or prayer upside down. Now, there's a lot of depth in that. Or the woman who took my class once, who walks in and says, I don't know nothing. I'm not religious, right? Walks into my class. The only reason she took it was that I taught it in Hebrew. Okay, I'm teaching Talmud. <laughs> now, I looked at her and I said, okay, finish the sentence. And I started quoting famous statements from the Talmud that everybody knows. Like, if I, uh, in, in, in if I am not for myself, who will I be? And so she finishes the sentence. Don't look in a container. And then she'd say, but rather that which is in it, right? And I went through half a dozen of these. And I said, I wish my Americans were as ignorant as you are, right? Last I heard after an MA from us, she was teaching introduction to Judaism to elementary school kids in a secular school, you know? In other words, we need to not worry. But you know, this is really something because up to this moment, and I mean this moment, if you talk to me, not you, but silly, you talk to me yesterday, I will never even, but it's important that it comes from the Talmud. But now when I talk to you, it's really elevates me, exciting to <laughs> me that it's a continuity. Right. There is things that go from one person to another, and I can go into the mind of somebody who lived 1,500 years ago, you know, a Talmudic, that's exciting, actually. And, into the, mind of, and into the mind of someone who lives in Bnei Brahm. Right, it, it changed me. You touched it's me. It's fun, isn't it? Hey, it's and I don't know you fun. even. It's so much fun to deal but with But once this. it happens, you can listen to somebody from Negwa. You can. You just have to know what conversation to have. Not every conversation is for every person. Yeah, but it doesn't embrace me for shit, as we say. You know something? So She'll embrace you. He won't. You have to know the culture rules. Uh, that takes a long time. The problem is that most of us don't know the differences between the culture rules, and we we have we assume or we include everybody in in assumption, and we don't know the details, and we have yeah. no uh, no patience and no kavod, no. But respect. nobody taught. Nobody, okay, so. What? But it's not only not nobody taught. We don't care. Wait, you know, what do you want? Right? No, but we don't care in a sense that you won't go and find out. No, that's right. But there must be okay. So my next question to you. Well, let me finish this stuff. It was much easier when you heard Uncle Chaim in Bnei Brak and not his grandchildren who you don't know anymore. 
It was much easier to have the religious relative when you were the secular one, because you all went to everybody's weddings anyway, because you're all Holocaust survivors, and how many relatives do you have, right? Today, when you're in the third generation, it's easy to just walk past these people as if they're strangers. Look, I take my kids on a regular basis, I used to when they were little, to uh, Kiryashoyo, which is the, the, the Satmar village north of New York. You should go there. Everybody should go there. Well, we really were there yesterday, place. and my son said, I don't want to see these people. I don't, I think that. So you know what? He didn't meet a single one of them. So how does he know if he wants to see him? He shouldn't see right. him. He should talk to them. So I take my sons, and we go for Mincha. And it's just a, it's an, an excursion, right? Yeah. Uh, now they're they're Hebrew. My kid couldn't figure out for nothing because it's that Hungarian Hebrew. That's a different different pronunciation. Mm -hmm. um, they were so nice to him, just so nice. So we go into a restaurant, my wife and me. We go there pretty often, going back and forth. I throw out kosher food on the road, right? So um, I walk into a restaurant, and I know that they keep separate rules for men and women for all these sorts of stuff, right? So I look at the guy and I say, "Where should we sit?" He said, in a chair. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You hear my point. Um, but the really thing is, is a the, matter. The, the difference is that when you go there, you know more than basics because you are Orthodox. And yourself, you you Shomer Shabbat. You know but I have the wrong You go. Yeah, but you go, you know what to do at shul, you know what to do. Yeah, and she looks like a shiksa, you know. When that. we go to these places, she looks like. She's not a shiksa, she looks It's very different. It's very different because- It is very is, different, but you know what? There's a huge gap in between. But I have to say that having Steve in Yeshiva University, it's already a, an opening, a, an opening, thing because Why? because before that yeshiva was more closed in more uh, hardcore and when steve came they gave an opening for different mindsets for different ideas and also a different look on israel and on a very different look like inside of the israeli culture in a very modern and not necessarily orthodox way. So to let this this wind to come into Yeshiva University, uh, I think it's a big deal. Okay, well, let me just say you... that let okay. me just say about Yeshiva University that it, it is for me the most marvelous place I could have ever landed. That the culture over the last hundred years has had its swings to the left and to the right and to the middle, but it's usually more like a chalant pot. Yeah. Right. A mix of this, a mix of that, cooking this way, cooking that way. But there's right? room for everything. Yeah, I was astonished. There is really I, room I, I for everything. I and I heard that yeah. this law school of Yeshiva University yeah, is such school. a well well known school. It's a very good. Every university. school at Yeshiva University, we're number sixty something in the country. We're a very fine wow. university, and our students are among the very finest. You meet my kids. You have to come and visit them. You come see my art students that I'm teaching this semester. Uh, so you have to tell me what you teach. What you teach in art? I am teaching yeah. a course that I teach every other year at Stern College for Women, and I teach in the graduate school in the spring. And everybody's welcome to come and participate as an auditor in my graduate course. Um, where I decide every time I do it to do something different because I get bored really quickly. Always. And so I've taught my history of the menorah. I've done my history of the Arch of Titus. This semester, I'm doing some, something completely different. I'm doing, I've, I've written a number of books on 
uh, art in the time of the Talmud. Okay. What, 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 okay, can you just give me that? Let me, let me explain what, that means ancient synagogues. That means ancient synagogues. It means Titus. It means, um, let me show you. See that arch? That's, yeah. the arch of, that's the arch of the synagogue at Bahram. That was one of my exhibitions, except this one, of course, is wooden. Um, it's about jewelry. It's about garments. It's about paintings on walls of synagogues. It's about diaspora synagogues. It's about how ancient rabbis dealt with this material. I it's about it when I go to synagogue in Israel. In our world. It's how, about how to be sophisticated, right? How to I use all this it. stuff and live it together. Look, you go to a synagogue in Israel. Come on, what do you see? I'm sorry. In a synagogue in Israel, regular synagogue in Israel, a regular church in the states. You know what? I did a thing in a synagogue just this last Shabbat where they had this um, this ghastly picture of Jerusalem on on, a, on on. I can't say too much. You might figure out where it is, right? And um, I ended up using it as a prop to explain to the community what it has on the wall and what its meaning is, right? You can do that in a Satmar synagogue. You can do that anywhere. I? Because I can. In oh. other words, the, and, and you know what? You can do it in the community center as well, right? You can do it in a Matnas. You can fight. One Hebrew letter is a 20 semester lecture. One letter of the Hebrew Aleph? alphabet. Let's Aleph say, or Mem or Kuf. It makes no difference, right? You can go from about, one letter and the way it's written, whether it be a modernist script or a Torah script, whether it's a Talmudic script, whether it's a Sephardi script, all of that calligraphy that you can find anywhere, right? On the front page of a newspaper, I can walk in and talk about the culture from which it came over the long term, and that's the key. And so whatever I teach is about the long term. It's always about how do you live with these materials? It's teaching my students how to see where they might not have been able to see before, right? Even in the synagogue speech that I gave last week, it's about teaching my students who know how to read, how to see, and my students know how to see, how to read, because I have the blessing of strabismus. I couldn't really read until I was in fifth grade because I had these awful eye muscles that needed to be dealt with and no one knew what to do with them, right? The surgeries hadn't started yet. That meant that I would go to art museums and figure out what perspective was. I would look at a painting and figure out where, what, how, how it was made and taught myself to see in three dimensions, which I do not do naturally. Yeah, but, but let and me And when you put that you... next to the Talmud stuff, right? It, it creates sort of a, a weird mind. So I, will, uh, I had a question before, but now I have two, like probably much more. Like for example, in the Talmud or in the Jewish, I'm going a little bit back, uh, who is the leader that you think did try and succeeded in bringing people together. Except Moses, also he didn't. Uh... Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, the, the editor Yehuda? of the Mishnah. Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, the editor of the I don't Mishnah. know anything about him. 
You say I didn't well, learn in school. He was the descendant of Hillel, who you do know about, yes. who managed to uh, to strengthen the rabbis after the Bar Kokhba revolt to such an extent that he not only organized material, but he was able to develop relations with the Romans that stood fast for hundreds of years until Christianity came on as a political power, right? He had a friend who was an emperor. Not only yeah. that, he had a friend who was an emperor, the stories say. Okay. In other words, he'd learned to work the Romans in a sophisticated way and to work Jewish community in a sophisticated way such that people could say that if Moses and Ezra hadn't given the Torah in different ways, then Rabbi was. He's the new Moses. Um, Do we have a new Rumba, Moses now? Do we have a new Moses? <laughs> we are looking for him. Me and Silly. I actually asked her for the last 20 years, Silly, go and look for Moses. I just call it a group of Jewish visionary. Go and find Moses, Silly. Well, look, here, let me I'm tell you a secret. Me. You know, Menachem Mendel Schneerson, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, um, didn't leave a successor. Right. He told his followers, you're, you're now all the Rebbe. You all have to do it together. You all have to build. You all have to make decisions. What I didn't understand when he did that was that it wasn't a. He told them, "There's you don't have anybody special like me, and you have to do a group work, and they can't." That's not encouraging. Well, let, let me let me That's let me encouraging. Let me finish the story. Okay. Oh. The reality is that before him, there was uh, in the 19th century. Lubavitch functioned more or less the same way as a series of franchises in different mm -hmm. cities. So we had a model for this then, but there's something bigger. Um, the ability for to create that each person takes on a specific role that's suited to her or to him, right? Requires the willingness to then mefargen right to give yeah, no, the I, other people again as they say right to give the other people a chance to do theirs which is why by the way i i love the current israeli government because yes, it's the you. whole community together yes i hope they will survive together. this um, now is spoiling everything she's now against this and against that i mean you know something I hope it's how this works it's gonna be she has to be she has to if she doesn't say something, then she looks like a whip to her constituents. All of these things have to be thought about. Reformer, who cares? There must be priorities. Once you get into the parliament and once you become a leader, your priority has to be very specific. And it's not my yes. You don't have to convince me. But my point is that we're doing a whole lot better than we were not so long ago. I agree with you. Right. That's and right. you know what? Everyone has decided that they have to do it for the benefit of, of the of the community right. and i'm looking at this and i'm thinking yes finally right. right yes finally people are thinking about something more than their own right. constituency right right if i want to go back for a second to the community of rome the non-jews yeah how do they accept the fact that you came in 
to uh, mishmash their arch and change the story? Look, scholars have been thinking about this color stuff for a while. Um, I can tell you that, forget in Rome in general, there are people in the studies of classics who don't like those Jews coming in and, and talking about Jewish, uh, how much Jews hated Titus because ancient Romans loved Titus, mm -hmm. right? In other words, it, they, they, people love talking about alternate narratives. Yes. Until they hear them. Right. Right? And like so there has been, as long as there they has been pushback. There has been the, this stuff is too Jewish. Why do you think we haven't been back to Rome to continue? Right? right. Um, on the other hand, and, and it's come through, and if you read our book, you'll see that I, that I addressed that with the, my essential comment was tough. Right? Um, if you're gonna, the minorities are gonna have different voices. And while in contemporary America, somehow Jews don't get the same voice as other minorities, right? And, and people don't wanna hear often that we have something that's different and are the same, Jews and non-Jews, right? Yes. What I tend to push, and, and I'm sort of known for this, is a sort of Jewish patriotism. Right. In other words, I care about Klal Yisrael. I care about the Jewish people. Right. As a group, I come from a small community where we all had to get along, and I brought that with me ever since. And every one I time I see Jews fighting with each other, and I catch myself saying those darn exes. Right. I have to catch myself and and pull back from it. So because we don't have the we don't have the leisure for this. By the so way, my grandson. Us. I just want to finish one sentence. My grandson grandson came, called us in last week, and he had one question: Are you Jewish or Israeli? And you need to make a decision. I told him I grew You're up both. as an Israeli, and only later, when I first came to the states, when I came to University of Michigan, I started to. I took Judaism for granted. Didn't think well, you were only is Israeli for 10 minutes before you were born. I just mm -hmm. point that out. You had to push the Israeliness, right? Right. Yeah. Unless you came there in 1880, which very few people did. Well, no, no. Come on. Right? But you know, like we don't right? have much time left, and I wanted to open up the subject of all Israel and all Jewish, and I want to take us to the Shomronim, uh, which is your major project that you're almost done working on now. And, um, and just tell us a little bit about it because the Shomronim are disappearing. I don't know. There used to be 125 of them, and now there are 800. 800, yeah, but we know how. So it's a little bit different, so. Yeah, in Hulu, Look, the, right? the Samaritans are um, Samaritans right. are the descendants of the of the northern tribes of Israel. They're the last remnant of them. They were almost gone at the turn of the 20th century. Um, they exist because Echad uh, Am and a and and then his followers, especially Yitzhak Ben Svi, willed it. Right, and, and as he became president of Israel, he had the resources to to make it happen. Um, they are an amazing, deep 
community of Israelites who are not Jews, who maintain traditions that go back an awfully long time. And even when they aren't old, they are different from ours. But what we, but in a funny way, Jews and Samaritans rhyme with each other. They'll do something one way, we'll do it another way. And sort of we, we, we get each other, um, which is a good reason to have hated each other for most of our history until the 19th century when Jews started saving them and from outside influence, from outside people who wanted to hurt them. Remember, they live in Nablus, right? And so under the Ottomans and then under the state of Israel, they've been gotten real protection. Um, we have a project about them. You can see as, an, as a center dedicated to Israel and all of its complexity, Samaritans are perfect, right? They're not Jewish. They're Israelites. They live in the land of Israel in the West Bank. They're not Arabs. They're not Jews, right? They're like every complexity you could want from a Jewish perspective, especially within my YU community, right? right? They're perfect. There's half of them live in Cholon, half of them yeah. live on Har Grizim, right? Yeah. Under the protection in Har Grizim, both of the Israelis and of the Palestinian Authority. There are some that work at Lod Airport and there are some who are teachers in, in Shem. You know, they, they, they're really a fascinating, lovely group. And um, I met them as a student and realized how utterly cool this was, how much we could learn about ourselves from this next door group, right? Um, and I remember the day when um, we finished Titus more or less and, and this woman named Cindy Chani said, so what do you want to do next? Don't you want to make a movie? And I said, yeah. And she, and I thought, and I thought everyone was sure I was going to say, oh, let's do it about the Arch of Titus. Well, I was done with that by then. And I said, uh, what about Samaritans? And we found a filmmaker, a wonderful one named Moshe Alafi, who has embedded himself with the Samaritans now for five years. Wow. The joke is that, you know, he's this, this Orthodox Iraqi guy. And he, uh, the joke is, I'm not becoming Samaritan, right? But he's there for every holiday. And, um, <clears throat> and he, he's just so deep into the community Usually when people talk about them, they do the surface stuff, right? Oh, there's not too many. Oh, they're doing this. Yeah, oh, oh, they're, they're trying long. to suffer. Like oh, they're Sophie Sadaka. Always there's something that people don't know anything about. And there are a number of, uh, of documentaries about that, yes. right? And what Alafi has done, and we're almost finished with, and it's amazing, which you see the film, is get deep into the guts. Got people really talking about the decisions that they're making as a community to either exist or not exist and their and their goal is to exist of course and and the and the challenges and the beauty and the next generation and the teachers and he's gotten these people talking to the cameras that never would have talked to cameras and that's the key and you know it's not the cheap shot gee what is it like to live between israelis and palestinians it's the deep shot what do you do when your kid can't find a girl? Right. It's the deep, it's the deep dive, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's number one. Number two, and it's going to be amazing. We're cre we've created an exhibition that's going to open at the Museum of the Bible in, uh, in the fall in Washington called, again, The Samaritans of Biblical People. 
which the highlight of the is uh, six films by Moshe with the community, including my favorite, which is a series of stories told by Samaritan elders about the distant past or the close past, right? And so some who knew Ben Svi, some who knew King Hussein, but others who are telling stories and from the mythic past, right, of their grandparents. And, and it would be lost if we didn't tape it, Mom, which is part of the reason I wanted it. It's all gonna go to the folklore archive at Haifa when we're done. Um, so our exhibition opens there, and then it goes off to Germany. Our book has 25 essays, short, written to be readable by normal people. They're at, nice. and, and enjoyed. Um, our cookbook, our cookbook. Wow. Happened by accident, but we have our own Samaritan cookbook. Did you try any of the recipes? Yeah, sure. Ah, okay. Sure. I didn't make it. These two wonderful guys made it along with one of the Samaritan guys, and I helped them create what they created, and I put some of our stories in it. My wife is creating a, a book based upon the stories for teenagers and you know the, the, those keepsakes that you get when you go to an exhibition that you can't afford the book but you want to have something with pretty pictures yeah it's gonna have all just the stories with an introduction and lots and lots of it's images fantastic project. it's fantastic it's yeah. just fantastic i'm yeah. hoping it goes yeah. to israel yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the the good thing about it is i think we've hit every base right and and like, how do you use your 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 knowledge once you've created it? We did the same thing with Titus, right? With the exhibitions, with the books, with the whole business. But this one we took even bigger. The next one, the Talmud on the Israeli street, I don't know where it's going to go yet. But that's I've set up the frame. You never know in documentary. You just know that what you're looking for. What well, I don't know if we're going to do a documentary for that. We have to think about it. I, I, I sort of want to, actually. But the point is that um, we have to imagine what it's going to be, because once you create a vessel, it gets filled, right? But you don't always know what you want right? until right. you do it. Yeah, you and so, that, so that's... Yeah, well, it, the journey, doing documentary, you discover so many things you didn't even know, even if you do it, you research documentaries, books, kids yeah. learning, and most of the point, people like you guys who say, oh, look, there's the Talmud on the corner of uh, Rabbi Akiva, Pinat, whatever, yes. right? I'm sure Let's we're going to it. have a very interesting activities yes. around your project with the Talmud, but we have to go now. And I just want to mention to everybody that the Art of Titus, you can see in Anu, which is the Jewish Museum in Israel, in Tel Aviv. A beautiful and museum, wow. Hopefully we can, uh, we'll be able to see the exhibition there. Definitely the screening of the film, the film, the film is coming out in the States at the end of March. So I'm sure we'll talk about I'm it. I'm so happy to meet more. you. It's such a pleasure. I'm looking forward to doing it in person. It's really amazing. You know, you just took me somewhere else. That's, you know, therefore we are doing this. No, you're the ones who took me or I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. <laughs> Steve, thank, thank you, guys. you. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, guys. Keep thank, you, thank you, Tziki. Oh, thank you, Tziki. Thank you, everybody. See you next week. Next week. week.